Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. This series is all about something that Jesus said years ago that we're still talking about today. And you already know what he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how you love your neighbor and what it looks like to love your neighbor might be subjective to you. You might say the way that you would do that is much different than the way that I would do that. And I would say even if we were to be in agreement about what that looks like, we would both agree that there's people likely in our neighborhood that would disagree with our idea of what it looks like to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so if that's true, let's just put that aside for a few weeks and engage an expert the one that literally wrote the book on how to love thy neighbor. That's right. In the same way that we go to clinics and conferences and workshops and sit under coaches to grow and to have a deeper understanding of a particular subject, why not go to the one that's been quoted for thousands of, of years when it comes to this idea of loving well? Jesus, who said, love your neighbors as yourself. And so my hope at the end of this series, after the next few weeks, is that every person that tunes in would have considered this life-changing truth. We may not always choose the type of neighbors that we will have, but we will always choose the type of neighbor we will be. This is a choice that even if you're tuning in today and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower, this is a choice that you get to make regardless of faith. We always choose the type of neighbor that we will be. Is it possible to discuss politics? Is it possible to discuss religion? Is it possible to discuss economics? Is it possible to discuss injustices? Is it possible to discuss differences of opinion on COVID-19 and to do so in such a way where maybe we disagree, but at the end of that conversation, we say, I enjoyed this. Let's do it again. You see, I could be wrong, but my observation is that we have lost the art of having a conversation with those that live near us that do not live like us. And so the question that we're asking in this series is, our neighbors may not live like us, but shouldn't they like us? Now, I said this last week, and maybe you had some time to think about it, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time, and you're saying, time out. I was raised with the thinking that my convictions should make me stand out, and that my love for Jesus at times may cause other people to not like me because of what I'm about and what I stand for. And you might say, I was also raised with the understanding, you know what, Jesus had a target on his back, and his disciples had a target on his back, and so it's likely that I'll have a target on my back, as a follower of Christ. And if we were having a conversation, I'd be leaning into what you're saying, but also clarifying a few things. And the fact that Jesus had a, a target on his back, by, it's the church folk that put it there, religious people put it there, and, and ultimately the governing authority stepped in. But the first people to put that target on the back of Jesus' back a target on the back of his back were, were church folk. And when it came to the disciples, sure, it was the, the governing powers of, of their time, but also religious people as well. But it's interesting that people that were nothing like Jesus still liked Jesus and he liked them back. And, and the same could be said for many of his followers as well. 
And the fact also is true that there might be some people today tuning in that chose to tune out when it came to church because of the behavior of a Christ follower in their neighborhood, in their community. And because of the way that they engaged you, you said, I want nothing to do with that person or their church. But on the flip side, there might be many people that are tuning in today, but because of someone in your community, because of someone in your neighborhood, you chose to lean in and say, I want to hear what Jesus has to say because this person who follows Jesus has committed to loving me well. And if Jesus influenced them, then I want to hear what Jesus has to say. You see, many of us would agree with the statement that Jesus said and that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And many people would agree that this statement has the potential to not only impact a neighborhood, but to also change an entire community. And so there might be those tuning in today that you wouldn't be all in when it comes to the person of Jesus, but you're probably all in when it comes to what he had to say and how to love people well. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to watch the expert at work. And we pick up now uh, in the New Testament gospel, John's gospel, as he recorded this account between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus is about to embark on a road trip. Many of you probably had road trips planned this summer. Some of you have had to cancel your road trip because of COVID-19 related considerations. Now, one of the advantages of my family being CNY, Central New York newbies, is that many of the, the great places that exist in the New York are places that people vacation to. So we got a chance to check out a small little town in Deansboro, New York, near Albany. We got a chance to spend some time in beautiful Niagara Falls. And, and this past week, we got to check out Lake Ontario and Rochester, New York. But these were places that we chose to go to. Samaria is a place that many people would have avoided, but Jesus didn't have a choice. He had to go through Samaria. So take a look at this map. Here is Judea, where Jesus is at, and he's gonna have to make his way directly through to Galilee. Most Jews, like Jesus, would have chose to avoid this route and to go around because Jews did not go into Samaria because Samaritans were seen as racially inferior, culturally inferior, and religiously inferior. You wouldn't go through, you would go around. So it's shocking that Jesus is heading right through, let alone what he is about to do next. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink. To set the scene for you, it's noon and it's just two people there. There's Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And we, because it's noon, we know it is a, the sun's at its peak and it's a very hot time of day. There's a reason why wise people will choose to do their yard work earlier in the day or later in the day to avoid, especially in the summer months, to avoid heat and exhaustion. And the same would be said about those that would go to the well. In fact, if you were to travel to this part of the world today, you would find that women, women would go early, early in the day and they would go in groups to draw water from the well. And yet this woman is alone and it's noon. Why is that? Because this woman wanted to avoid 
her neighborhood, her community, and the crowds. Because she had been discriminated against racially, she had been discriminated against religiously, and she had been discriminated against relationally. Racially, uh, Samaritans were seen as less than equal when it came to the Jews. Religiously, uh, Samaritans were known as the the ones that distorted the Jewish religion, Jewish faith, that they only adhered to the first five books of the Old Testament, left everything out, and then they twisted scripture and then added things in. And then relationally, this woman was an outcast because she had been married five different times to five different men. And now she's with the sixth guy and they're not even married. So she was a social outcast. And all of that is what this woman brought with her to the well that day. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you are Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So she's got some sass. She's doing the whole like, oh, no, you didn't. You know, neck thing. I, don't, I can't do it as well as some of you gals. But she's saying, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I can't believe you're even talking to me. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So she thinks at this point that Jesus wants something from her, but really Jesus wants something for her. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So she's confused because Jesus is talking metaphorically and she's thinking literally when it comes to water. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, Jesus is not talking about H2O. He's talking about this Samaritan's woman, this Samaritan woman's deepest longings within her soul. He wants to speak to the fact that when her head hits the ground at the end of the day, that her head is filled with thoughts of unworthiness, that she's overwhelmed with feelings of shame, that she's questioning her purpose, already beginning to think about who or what she'll chase after, after next because the person that she's with, like the previous five people, don't satisfy the longing in her heart. Jesus wants to speak to that. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Again, look, Jesus, this ain't my first rodeo. If you've got it, just give it to me. I don't wanna have to keep working so hard to get this. And so, Jesus' response, go call your husband and come back. Now, if you're a skeptic, this is the point of the story where you might say, yep, this is why you can't trust the Bible because the Bible is filled with cultural stereotypes. It's filled with old thinking when it comes to gender roles and we've evolved and the Bible is outdated. Listen, this moment is not about chauvinism and, and Jesus being macho. Jesus is setting up something that's about to take place. And this woman is about to experience something that she's never experienced before. And her response is, I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite 
true. He's not shaming her. Instead, he is pointing out the distinct way that he is choosing to love her in a way that she's never been loved before. He's comparing all those that had come before him to how he's choosing to love her in this moment. She had grown up in an honor and shame culture. Women in this time, if they were the round peg and they did not fit in the square hole, they had no purpose. They were outcasts. They were left to to fend for themselves and and to figure it out. And I've already unpacked how other people in the community would have viewed her and treated her. But what about the way that she viewed herself and treated herself? Think about the the pain and wounds that would have come from five failed marriages. And while it's true that one can be legally separated, the reality is is that that pain and, and devastation that comes from divorce follows both people no matter where they go. And that that hurt will forever have them connected. So in, in this moment, is, is Jesus' acceptance signifying his approval of her actions and her five failed marriages? Has, has Jesus changed his position on divorce? No. Jesus, if he were here in this moment, would explain to us that, of course, God's preference is a healthy, thriving marriage. But he would also, at the same time, say that divorce is not a disqualifier for following Jesus while also affirming that divorce is painful and has lifelong consequences. And I say all of that to set up this very important question. Is it possible to be 100% accepting of someone and not be 100% approving of their actions? This is a question that might divide churches. This is a question that might divide families. This is a question that might end friendships. Is it possible to be 100% accepting of someone and not be 100% approving of their actions? I would say yes, because acceptance is about who you are, but approval is about what you do. We don't approve or disapprove of individuals. We approve or disapprove of behavior, attitudes, and choices. Gospel thinking says that once I've placed my faith in Christ and I declare Christ as my savior, my identity is in him. Who I am in Christ now fuels my activity, now shapes the way that I engage other people. But who I am is not what I do. And those that equate who they are with what they do, anytime that you engage in a conversation that equates these two separate independent truths, anytime that you disagree with them, they will feel rejection. If you're that person that says, listen, my ability to have worth and value in society and life is through my ability to perform well, that who I am is driven by what I do. Anytime we engage in a conversation and I disagree with you, you're gonna take that personally and it's gonna feel like rejection. And so my hope for our students that have just even graduated this year as they step onto college campuses and begin to engage in new communities, my hope and prayer is that they understand the distinct difference between acceptance and approval and that you can be 100% accepting while at the same time not 100% approving of someone's actions. But let me give you this caution. And my, pa- my friend who's a, who's, a, who's a pastor at, a, at another church, he's much wiser than I. He's a ninja when it comes to words. He shared this caution, and I think it's powerful. This is what he said. 
He said, if what you do equals who you are, meaning that I am only as good as my ability to do well, if what you do equals who you are, your acceptability is only as strong as your ability to do wrong. I'm gonna say that again. Your acceptability is only as strong as your ability to do wrong. And so if you're trapped in this religious thinking, you're drowning when it comes to your ability to accept others because you will never be able to truly accept someone that doesn't live up to your own standards. Even though if you're honest, you can't even live up to your own standards 100% of the time. Now, if you've ever been in a conversation before that gets kind of awkward quickly and gets too personal quickly and your defenses go up and you're thinking, I need to hit the eject button. I need to figure out how to end this conversation as soon as possible. Then you understand this Samaritan woman's response because she's getting uncomfortable. Sir, <clears throat> I can see that you're reading into my life. You're speaking into my soul. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And this is Jesus's response. Woman, Jesus replied. And, and this, is, this is culturally, you know, acceptable. And, and this time, don't hear me saying that, you know, you need to go home and speak to your wife like that. Don't do that. You'll be in the doghouse. But for Jesus and, and this time, it was culturally acceptable. Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So what's going on here? What I said last week is that it's not enough to just know what our neighbors believe, that we need to know why they believe what they believe. And when it came to Jews and Samaritans, they had similar but different review, different views with regards to the following. Similar but different views when it came to vocabulary, the scriptures, a savior, the temple, and their traditions. And so if you were to hop in the DeLorean with Marty McFly and the doc and to, and to head back to this moment in time, you would discover that Jews and Samaritans talked about the same things. They would talk about the priesthood and they would talk about blessings and they would talk about Moses and they would recall some of those same stories that you read about in the first five books of the Old Testament. They were similar but different. Similar vocabulary but different dictionary. And if you were to observe some of their conversations, you would see that, you know, the scriptures, yeah, for Samaritans, they would say anything within the first five books of the Old Testament we're good with, Everything else, well, we've got our own way of doing things. Similar but different when it came to the idea of a savior. Because they kept the first five books of the Old Testament, which points to a savior, they kept that idea in their religion. They would not have described the savior as, as we would, Jesus or the Messiah. They would have known him. It would have been known as Tahib in their language. And when it came to the temple, the Samaritans would have said Mount Gerashim, and uh, the Jews would have said, no, it's, it, the temple should be rebuilt in, in Jerusalem. And when it came to traditions, they had different feasts and holidays that they would celebrate. And this is important because today in our culture, when it comes to Western American thinking, Christianity is no longer the predominant worldview. We're living in a post-Christian society. And so today, like Jews and Samaritans, as we engage in neighborhoods, as we engage in communities, we're gonna have similar but different ideas when it comes to these key subjects. You might engage with someone that will talk about this idea of God or a God, but let's just be clear, your definition of God, it might be different than their definition of God. And they might have some, of, uh, some train of thought when it comes to the idea of ultimate truth. 
And what can be trusted? You would say scriptures. They might say something different. Or they have an idea of a savior or the afterlife. Might not be Jesus. Maybe it's they're their own God. And as long as they do enough good things, then they'll be okay in the end. Or their idea of a temple and the place that they should gather or a building or a church and what that church should look like and what that, that experience should look like or traditions, the things that you look forward to each and every year. And for Jesus, in this moment with the Samaritan woman, his understanding of how she had similar but different thinking when it came to these five things helped him love her well. Instead of just focusing on what mattered to her, he moved a step deeper to why it mattered to her. And so you can have a conversation with someone that they say, this is really important to me. And you can have a follow-up conversation and say, tell me more about that. Why is it? to pull back the layers and to go a little further. This is how we begin, begin to love those who live near us, who choose not to live like us. Jesus was a master at this. Jesus continues the conversation. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And again, they're throwing out similar terms, but they have different definitions. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father and the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's going to Explain everything to us. He's going to help us make it all, help it all make sense. And Jesus' response to her in this moment was, was unique. And that he responded to her in a way that he didn't respond to all groups. There was no parable. There was no code. There was no riddle. He was clear and direct. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The one you are looking for, the one you are searching for is right in front of you. And so what I want to do for the remaining few minutes is I want to unpack three things that Jesus teaches us that will help us love those who live near us that choose not to live like us. To consider what Jesus did when it came to loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Here's the first thing. Acceptance fuels influence. <laughs> I know this is kind of goofy, but maybe you turn to someone, whoever you're watching with right now and say this with me. Acceptance fuels influence. Thanks for humoring me. When Jesus said, the fact is, and Jesus began to re recall her history of, of divorces, the fact is, I know your marital situation. In other words, the fact is, I know you've got skeletons in your closet. That moment in the story was, first of all, a reminder that Jesus does know the, de does know the details of our lives. But it was also a reminder that there is no one thing in your life, in my life, that would cause us to, Jesus to wince or reconsider fully loving us and fully accepting us. You see, in this moment and how Jesus chose to respond to this Samaritan woman, it teaches us that acceptance is a powerful tool for influence and keeping a conversation going. And so it's true that I can be 100% accepting of Yankees fans while not 100% approving of their behavior to <laughs> root for the evil empire. 
It's okay. We've got a lot of Yankees fans on staff. I got to have a little bit of fun. Jesus also teaches that understanding brings intentionality. Understanding brings intentionality. Loving conversations build on what someone already knows to help them discover what they have not yet discovered. Loving conversations help a person uh, start with what a person knows and then builds a bridge to what they have not yet discovered. So, She knew, the Samaritan woman knew some things about uh, the scriptures. Uh, She knew some things about the Savior. She knew some things about the temple. And that's where Jesus started. And the conversation built from there. I had a friend recently say, you know, when you were preaching about uh, the Ford 150, the the truck that you want, I just stopped listening to you at that point. But that's... But that's all I got. I got no further explanation. Later in another conversation, I discovered that there's an acronym for Ford, which is fix or repair daily. That was new information to me. I wish that my friend had, had chose to build on what I did know and help me discover what I did not know yet. Now I'm being goofy, of course, but this train of thought, this school of thinking is why I have a hard time with door-to-door evangelism. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, there are people that are very successful at that. Um, but in my experience, it, it's not successful the majority of the time. And, and if it works for someone and they've converted people to Christ that way, then I'm all for helping as many people know Jesus at whatever cost. But what I would say is that the moment you open up the door and you meet someone for the first time, when you lead with, you know, you're a sinner and in need of a savior, you're forgetting that that person has a similar but different view when it comes to the scriptures and the temple and a savior. And they might use some of the same language like praying or, or a God or church, but their understanding is much different than you. And so where we have to start is understanding why they believe what they believe, because understanding brings intentionality. Understanding allows you to know where to go next in the conversation. So there's one more thing, and, and, and if you miss everything else in this message, I don't want you to miss this, because if we don't get this last piece right, then we're going to miss one of the things that Jesus did so well when it came to loving others. Patience clarifies intent. Patience clarifies intent. This is something that Jesus teaches us through how he chose to engage the Samaritan woman. One of the the cultural damages that exists from churches and Western American thinking is the reality that so many people have had an experience either with a church or a Christian where that person or that entity or that group were more committed to converting that individual than to loving that individual. And once that group or once an individual discovered that that person was not going to convert or was no longer interested in having a conversation about Jesus, the relationship came to an end. I've had people in my my own life that have experienced that. They let people in. They trusted that they had good intentions. But once that group discovered that they weren't going to accept the invite to church, or they really weren't going to ever respond to yet another gospel presentation, then the relationship came to an end. And this is damaging. Because let me be clear. People are persons, not projects. People are persons, not projects. And so for me, personally, it wasn't until a youth pastor took me out and over six months of breakfast and coffee that I finally began to lean in 
to what he had to say about Jesus. Because once I came, became convinced that even if I didn't respond the way that maybe he was hoping I would respond, once I was convinced that that relationship wasn't gonna come to an end, it made me lean in more to what he had to say about Jesus. His patience with me, his patience with me clarified his intent with me. So one more time, acceptance fuels influence. Understanding brings intentionality and patience clarifies intent. We may not always choose the type of neighbors we will have, but we will always choose the type of neighbor we will be. We can choose to be the type of neighbor that, that leads with disapproval, that, that leads with closed-minded thinking, that leads with, hey, if you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm going to have this relationship come to an end. Or we can be the type of neighbor that leads with acceptance and understanding and patience. That was Jesus's way, a proven method that so many people have adopted for thousands of years. I think that's the way that we want to be treated. And consequently, we should then treat others the same. Jesus said it this way, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you bow your head and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for your truth. Today we read about the importance of worshipers coming in, in spirit and in truth. And, and God, we just proclaim and we declare and acknowledge that we cannot know you or worship you apart from the truth of who you are. And that we, we're grateful that you've provided the Holy Spirit to woo us into your presence, to constantly help us pursue truth and to expose lies that we've chosen to believe. And Heavenly Father, we also recognize that this idea that we talked about today and engaging those that, that maybe live near us but choose not to live like us can be terrifying for some people and, and to even have that conversation. But God, we are committed to answering your call that you've put on our lives, which is to, to love people well. And sometimes it might be six or 12 months before we get to have that conversation. So would you give us that patience as we wait to, to bring about understanding? And help us to always lead through acceptance. And above all, Father, help us to, to not fall into the trap of seeing people as projects. That we would see men and women as children of God as you see them. We pray all of these things in the power of your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for, for tuning in today. And next week, we're going to continue this series, Neighboring. And we're going to see how Jesus chose to engage a group of highly religious people. And, and I got to be honest with you, the question that I'm going to ask next week is even challenging for me as a pastor. And it's this, which is more difficult, serving your church or your neighborhood? Which is more difficult for you, serving your church or your neighborhood? I can't wait to see you back again next week. Here's Mindy. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.